0: From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, everlasting. Amen. And uh, we'll go down to the catechism memory work. How can water do such great things? Certainly not just water, but the word of God in and with the water does these things along with the faith which trusts this word of God in the water. For without God's word, the water is plain water and no baptism. But with the word of God, it is a baptism, that is, a life-giving water, rich in grace and a washing of the new birth in the Holy Spirit. As St. Paul says in Titus chapter 3, we'll go right into the Bible memory work there. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, Titus three, five to eight. Let us pray. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Mine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And Luther's evening prayer, I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have graciously kept me this day, and I pray that you would forgive me all my sins where I have done wrong. And graciously keep me this night. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. The Almighty and merciful Lord, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless us and keep us. Amen. All right, so um, we're going to try and finish up the topic of prayer today. And what we really want to do is move from the Lord's Prayer in Luther's Small Catechism, which kind of goes through the theology of prayer, to this section on daily prayers, which is about devotional life. Yeah, Rod? Go ahead.
1: can't let you get too far.
0: No. Well,
1: it just struck me as we were reading the, the Lord's Prayer, and every church does this, that it's in these kind of arbitrary short little phrases rather than the complete thoughts that are in, in the prayer. You know what I mean? Like, 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 um, at least on the temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, that's one big thought, right? But deliver us from temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why don't, we, why, why don't we kind of figure out a way to say this so that, the, so that the thoughts in the prayer are complete thoughts and not just random phrases that we're saying?
0: Um, I'm not sure. My initial reaction is that we... Re- read things that way in a group for pacing so that we don't get lost and don't get ahead or behind each other um, if you if you say it in shorter phrases it's easier to to stay together that's my initial thought is that that that, that happens naturally I don't we, we, but yeah, every one of us said
1: this every sunday for 50 60 yeah. minutes, right Do you, think
0: you can learn to say it? yeah you could probably adjust the phrasing if you wanted to yeah, Garrison.
1: Well, it could also be that although, you know, something like lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, things like that, I mean, although that is like one sentence, it could also be that when we say the prayer in the way that Rod's talking about, we are highlighting certain parts of the statement, though. Um,
0: yeah, that's a good point as well, because Luther, uh, Luther splits those up into two different petitions, right? Lately us not to temptation and deliver us from evil. So, because we're gonna look at that last petition today. So, that's a that's also a good thought. Yeah. Alan? When I say
1: the Lord's I think about my confirmation. Yes, that long ago. Uh huh. That how. Good for you. Explains, you know, what the meaning is. You
0: know,
1: our Father in heaven. You know, our Father in heaven.
0: Right. That's how I. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, I thought Andrew was the only one who remembered his confirmation in here. So I don't remember my confirmation. <laughs> um, there you go. Um, so the one thing I'll add to all of that is that I, while it can be repetitive in the sense that, oh, we say it week in, week out, every week, same way, um, I, there is a value in that. And that people do learn it really well in their hearts. Right. I
1: made it a positive
0: way. Right, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, it's it's always a blessing when like even people who have dementia, if I go and visit them in the nursing home, you start saying the Lord's Prayer, they just they can't help but say it. It's that like deep in their in their heart. So um all right, so good uh good discussion there. Um but let's Let's finish up the Lord's Prayer. So we left off on the sixth. We finished the sixth petition, lead us not into temptation. Now we're into the seventh petition, but deliver us from evil. And um, this is on page 324 in the hymnals if you want to follow along in Luther's catechism. And then when we switch over to daily prayers, that's going to be on page 327. So you can keep your finger in that as well. Uh, Luther says, what does this mean? We pray in this petition. In summary... That our Father in Heaven would rescue us from every evil of body and soul, possessions and reputation, and finally, when our last hour comes, give us a blessed end and take us graciously and graciously take us from this valley of sorrow to Himself in Heaven. So, um, about three things I want to point out here. One is this uh, phrase, "In summary." So um, this is the seventh petition. About evil. Uh, In summary, that whenever we pray for us to be delivered from evil, that this is in some ways summarizing, as Luther says, everything that's come before it in the Lord's Prayer. Right? Whenever we pray uh, that we would hallow Jesus' name, whenever we pray that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done that our sins would be forgiven, that we would be led not into temptation. All of this is a prayer to be delivered from evil, right? That we would be delivered out of the evil of this world, out of the evil of our sinful nature, out of the evil of the devil, and into the gracious hands of our Lord and into his will and into his way. And uh, so I, I love that little phrase, that little turn a phrase there that Luther says, we pray this petition in summary that our Father in heaven would rescue us from every evil of body and soul, right? And um, so uh, that's worth pointing out. Uh, another thing I want to point out, I might have mentioned this last time, is that in the Greek, in uh, when Jesus actually gives the Lord's prayer to the disciples, it is um, a little bit of a mistranslation. It's not bad, and it's obviously maintained throughout the history of the church, but it is a, a singular... Um, person in the Greek when it says, deliver us from evil, that a better translation would be deliver us from the evil one, All right? So there is a, uh, it's it's kind of interesting because Luther really doesn't touch on the devil here, but um, when Jesus says this, it is seemingly indirect reference to the devil, that uh, the devil is the one who wants to lead us away into sin and into despair, but uh, that we would be delivered from that evil one and, and be uh, led to Jesus is very much what we're praying for here. Um, but Luther summarized, Luther Luther takes it a lot more broadly, right? He says, every evil of body and soul, possessions, and reputation. Um, and it's kind of interesting he doesn't just say body and soul, that he includes possessions and reputation there, right? Uh, it's kind of a um, two, two seemingly odd things, but um, I think if you think about like the Ten Commandments, he's really kind of pointing you back to the Ten Commandments that catechism is very interconnected in this way, that uh, when else have we talked about possessions and reputation? In the Seventh Commandment and in the Eighth Commandment, right? So, um, and then we talked about bodies in the Fifth Commandment, right? So, that there are, there are attendant evils to all these things in life and that we're praying to be delivered from all of them. Okay. And then and finally, the thing I want to say about the seventh petition is that um, similarly to when we prayed for thy kingdom come, one of the things we're praying for here is in some sense our own death or for Jesus to come back again, right? Uh, that, we would, that when our last hour comes, of course, so we're not in charge, right? That our last hour is going to come whenever it comes, but that when our last hour comes, he would give us a blessed end and graciously take us from this valley of sorrow to himself in heaven. Because we're not going to be fully delivered from evil until Jesus comes back again. right? We're not going to be fully delivered from evil until we're in paradise with Christ, with him in heaven. And so um, one of the things we're praying for there when we say deliver us from evil is that Jesus would come back again and that uh, we would have a blessed death. And this is kind of, uh, this goes along with the prayer. In um, So there's a prayer. I like to use it a lot during Lent. It's called the Litany or the Great Litany. Uh, it's written by St. John Christosom in the early church. Pretty famous prayer. It's in our hymnal. It's uh, on, if you want to look at it, it's on page 300 something. Um, let me. Maybe 200 something. Not sure. Getting close. Here he it Uh It's on page 288. If you want to look at it. Anyway, um, I like this this petition in the litany that, and it's pretty much an expansion, really, of "Deliver us from evil." But uh, that that first big petition there in the litany, "From all sin, from all error, from all evil." From the crafts and assaults of the devil, and then this is the line I, I wanted to point out, from sudden and evil death, good Lord deliver us. That one of the things that we we don't want to happen in our lives as Christians is to experience a sudden or an evil death, right? Uh, a death that is unexpected or unprepared for. And it, when speaking about like pastoral care, one of the things that uh, pastors do, one of Really, the greatest joys in my ministry, even though it's also very sad, is to go to the beds of the dying and minister to them. And uh, there's a rite that we have in the pastoral care companion called um, the commendation of the dying. It's it's not last rites. That's like a you know very much official Roman Catholic thing, but it's um, it is similar in the sense that it's a right to commend the dying person to Christ and to prepare them for death. And it's got some beautiful things in there, like reading the passion of Jesus, um, singing certain hymns with them, uh, reading Psalm 23, you know, all those types of things. Um, But this is one thing to think about is that as Christians, we are called to prepare to die, Uh, that we want to die faithful because dying is one of the times of greatest temptation. in in someone's life when they're close to death. And so um, we want to prepare to die. We don't want a sudden death. Um, But that's part of what we're praying for in the seventh petition is that uh, to deliver us from evil is to pray for a blessed end and graciously take us from this valley of sorrow to himself in heaven. All right, any questions on the seventh petition or comments? All right, well, we'll go on to the conclusion then. And um, worth noting again that the conclusion was uh, not spoken by Jesus in the Gospels like the rest of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, This was added on in the early church, but it stuck around. And so we speak it anyway, which is fine and good. Um, If you've ever been to a Roman Catholic church, they normally don't say the conclusion. Interestingly enough, they'll just stop at deliver us from evil. But um, it's a good conclusion. It's always good, I think, to end our prayers in a doxology or a praise of God. And so uh, that's what we do here. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And uh, two things to point out in the explanation there. What does this mean? This means I should be certain that these petitions are pleasing to our Father in heaven and heard by him. And that takes us back to the first, uh, the introduction right? Our father in, who art in heaven, what does this mean? It means that our heavenly father wants to hear us as his dear children, right? And so if our heavenly father is hearing us as his dear children, we should then be certain that he hears us and that uh, our prayers are pleasing to him. And um, this also goes along with something that we've said throughout the Lord's Prayers that God wants us to pray for what he has already promised right we pray for the thing give us this day our daily bread well certainly he's going to give us our daily bread no matter what but he we pray for it anyway because he wants to hear our prayer he wants us to pray for what he's already promised yeah garrison you know i thought that question might come and last time i taught on this my adult catechumen had the same question and i was going to look it up and i never did um I know it's it's around for a long time. Um, I don't think it, you know it might have been well, it
1: Yeah, right? the first or second century.
0: Yeah, I I, I No, I I think I said early church off offhandedly. But, but if on it, of um so interestingly Luther didn't write this explanation. This is one um, there's like two or three explanations in the small catechism that got added on by later Lutherans, but it was, they were like the generation right after Luther. Is right this down? No. <laughs> um, but no, it, admittedly, I, I do not know the answer to these questions, and I have to look it up. So, here. You did. I gotta write it down. Um, here, I'll just highlight this here. No, um, so. Yeah, That's right. No, that's good. That's good. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know when it was added on. Um, and I don't know. I, I just don't know the history of it at all, really. The other thing to point out, though, is um, so the rest of the explanation for he himself has commanded us to pray in this way and promised to hear us. And then this is the kind of famous line. Amen. Amen means yes. Yes, it shall be so. And this word amen is super important, um, I think, biblically and liturgically, that this idea of amen being this firm truly, truly, or yes, yes. And it's interesting, amen is one of these words that has been transliterated throughout the entirety of Christian history, right? So there, there's only like two or three words like this that I know of, the other being Alleluia, um, but if you read, if you go and read Hebrew from the Old Testament, it does not sound a lot like English or Latin or Greek or German. Um, all of those kind of sound similar, or at least you can find what are called cognates in between the languages, where you basically have the same word for the same thing, um, because they're you know related languages. Hebrew is totally unrelated to our languages, our Western languages. And um, so whenever you do get a Hebrew word in these Western languages, it's pretty significant. Um, Amen being one. So amen is a Hebrew word that got transliterated, which means they just kept the exact same word for the same thing in another language, transliterated into Greek, into Latin, and into English. so, the uh, so amen occurs in the Old Testament, and Jesus uses it all the time in the New Testament. I, I really don't like that English Bibles translated this way, but I always, whenever I read the passages, normally I translate it on the fly. But um, whenever Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, that's amen, amen, I say to you, and um. Of course, we still use it in the uh, worship today all the time, right? After prayers, amen. After the sermon, amen. All these things. Uh, But it's a great word, right, where we're saying this is true. This is certainly true, right? And uh, Luther does that in his explanations to the creed, right? After each explanation of the creed, he says this is most certainly true. He's saying amen, right? And so I always tell people, um, it's important to say amen after the prayers. And this is, this is the other thing liturgically about amen. Uh, this is, all of this is basically true with the word alleluia too, is that this is the people's word, right? Um, the pastor gets to talk a lot during the service, right? That's the pastor's job. That's what you pay me for is to talk. Um, maybe you don't like me talking so much, but that's, that's my job, right? Uh, but the, <laughs> yeah, right. But the, the, so if I preach longer, I get paid more, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but this is the people's word, right? Amen. Yes, yes, this is true, right? And hallelujah. Uh, pray, praise be to God. But,
1: you know, along the same yeah, way, go ahead. You, you go to different churches, and the churches where people
0: all I, I like those services because it means people, people are
1: engaged. You're yeah. giving, giving feedback to,
0: to, to the pastor. I, yeah. I don't like it. yeah, I've, I've preached at a couple churches where I get verbal amens. And uh, actually at Beautiful Savior, there's a couple people now and then they'll uh, verbally amen during, during the sermon. So you like some <laughs> Yeah, that's fine. Okay. It doesn't bother me a bit. There was a guy at uh, the, the church plant that I was working with on vicarage that was, did it constantly, so I got really used to it, so yeah, it don't bother me at all, um, and really, I should be, I'm saying amen, because we're good Midwestern Lutherans, but really, since we're in Mississippi, it should be amen, but you know, that is what it is, I don't, I don't care either way, I guess, um, yeah, I actually grew up saying amen, and then I went to school in the Midwest for seven years, so then I started saying amen, because that's what all the churches I went to said, so, then that kind of stuck. Anyway, Amen. That
1: almost sounds like the German.
0: Yeah, what's the German?
1: Well, I don't know, but Ah. Uh, know oh. uh, that's what. Yeah, the. I would say that it was the
0: Germans made that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's a that's a it that is a difference in the Midwest and South. Yeah. The the true Southerners normally say Amen for some reason. So. Um. anyway uh, so that's amen um, that's a good word you should use it you should say it I always tell people if you don't agree with what I said in the sermon don't say amen right because you're not you're saying this is true and if you don't think it's true don't say it so um, alright that's the conclusion any other questions on the Lord's Prayer or kind of the theology of prayer and remember when we talk about the Lord's Prayer we're talking about it as kind of a model for prayer Right, so these are the types of things that we should pray for. Um, or a, a model for, like, when we say amen, for instance, that whenever we pray other prayers, we can also say amen at the end of them. So kind of a model for prayer. All right. Great. I want to talk about the daily prayers and the devotional life. Um, what's that? Good got plenty of time. Um, so if you go to page 327 you got uh, the daily prayers section in the Catechism and this is always something that I like to harp on that the Catechism is as much practical as it is theology. It's not just what we believe but it's also a guide for Christian living. And so yes we've got the theology of the prayer of prayer and the Lord's Prayer but Luther gives some really practical advice about devotional life in this daily prayer section. And I think the way to think of it is basically not like, um, okay, this is what Luther said about devotional life. That means I'm going to do exactly what he said in the catechism. I, as a pastor, I see Luther here more giving some practical suggestions for how you might structure your devotional life. But I always tell people, you don't, I mean, you don't have to do it exactly the way Luther says it or exactly the way that I say it. The important thing is that you have a devotional life. So we'll talk a little bit about what that looks like. But I think you can um, see that in the way that he says, uh, there. if you look at the top and this is actually at the top of most sections in the catechism, he'll say something like, how the head of the household should teach his family to do this or do that or think about this. Um, how, how the head of the household should teach his family the Lord's Prayer, right? Um, but here he says, this is how the head of the household uh, should teach his family to pray morning and evening. And uh, the first thing to notice there and the, in the overall structure of it, that there's a morning prayer, an evening prayer, and a mealtime prayers. That's three times a day that we're praying. And uh, if you look at the top of your at-home prayer sheet, you'll see there um, a quote from, it's from Psalm 55, verse 17, evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress, and he hears my voice. That's from Psalm 55. And so the church for a long time has Thought about prayer in terms of often praying around like a three time a day structure now again um, what I'm, I'm going to get later on into the details of if you're thinking about your devotional life, where do I start how how many times a day do I do this we're going to talk about that a little more, but it is just an interesting uh, point there evening morning, and noon, and then Luther kind of pulls on that and says evening prayer, morning morning prayer, evening prayer, and and mealtime prayer. Um, there's also a verse in the Psalms, I'm trying to remember where it is, where it specifically says something along the lines of like seven di- times a day I pray. And um, that's where the monks got the idea of the canonical prayers, uh, canonical offices, where there was seven different uh, times of prayer for the monks in the monasteries in the Middle Ages. But um, that has never really been what most kind of day-to-day Christians pray like, right? We don't stop seven times a day to, to have a worship service. That would be probably a little hard um, if you have a full-time job. But uh, three times a day is, is, I think, actually doable, especially when you see, um, and we'll kind of keep moving here, what Luther recommends. This is one thing to notice. Luther is not recommending something strenuous here, Right? Uh, when Luther recommends how to pray, he says, In the morning when you get up, make the sign of the cross and, and say, uh, In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then, kneeling or standing, repeat the creed and the Lord's Prayer. And then you can say this little prayer and then go to work. And if you want, you can sing a hymn on the way. Right? This takes, what, five minutes? Right? And And you can see that, like, when we do at home prayer to open Sunday school. Right? We say the creed, catechism memory work, Bible memory work, the Lord's prayer, and one of Luther's prayers, and it takes less than five minutes, right? Um, so we got—it's um, it's not that strenuous is what I'm saying, right? And, and notice a couple of the—I want to point out a couple other lines in here, right? So um, one, notice how it is kind of bodily as well. And I do think this is a good point, that he says, make the sign of the cross and then kneeling or standing, uh, do this. Now, again, I'm not saying you have to do it exactly like he says, but it is interesting. He kind of tells you, engage your body in this, right? That um, there, there should be a purposefulness when we go to pray, And you can see this um, also when we get down to the asking a mealtime blessing. Um, He says, go to the table reverently and have your family fold their hands. Which this is something we still teach kids, right? That what do we tell kids when, when they go to pray? Bow your heads, close your eyes, and fold your hands. Well, why is that? Well, bow your heads because it's in reverence to God, right? Close your eyes so that you're not distracted by the things around you and fold your hands so you don't punch your brother or sister, right? <laughs> that's why, right? And, uh, but those things are good for adults, too, that we should focus ourselves on that, we're, that if we're going to go to have a devotional life, we're going to go to pray, that's what we should be doing, right? Uh, we should not be thinking about other things, um, but we should be focused on, on that action, right? It's, it's time for God. It's not time for multitasking, Okay. Um, and so, so I, I do think it's good to engage your body. Um, a, another thing to point out is that he says um, he's very, again, very focused on this being very practical and fitting into your everyday life and kind of guiding or um, kind of pushing along your, the rest of what is in your life right, that devotions are kind of the first thing and the last thing, and then everything else kind of surrounds itself around that. So he says in the morning, after the, so right when you get up, do your devotion, and then after you do your devotion, then you can go joyfully to your work. And then he says in the evening, um, after you do your devotion, go, at, go to sleep at once in good cheer, Right. He's got this other line that's great um, that he says, uh, I think it's like in a table talk or something. He says, I have so much work to do today. I'm going to have to spend the first three hours praying, <laughs> right? That without uh, without God guiding us and without our uh, focus being on God first, nothing else really matters, right? And I, and I think um, oftentimes when we think about devotional life, it's like, thinking about oh I got to fit this in somewhere uh, but really if we can kind of reframe that to think uh, that devotions are the guiding principle in our calendar and our clocks, if they kind of set the day in motion and end the day, that um, that's a lot more helpful way to think about it All right All right uh, that it's kind of like first priority I guess. Uh, The other thing he uh, just really quickly points out there is singing a hymn like that of the Ten Commandments. So one of the things that Luther did to teach the lay people in Germany who were very uneducated in the Christian faith at the time because of the corruption of the church was he set a lot of things to music. So basically every part of the catechism, uh, the creed, the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, the... uh, baptism, Lord's Supper, he has hymns on all these things. So that's what he's referencing there. Um, And I can find it for you real quick. So the hymn he's referencing is These Are the Holy Ten Commands, um, which is just a hymn version of the Ten Commandments that Luther wrote. It's hymn uh, 581, if you want to look at it in your hymnal. Um, It's a good hymn. These are the Holy Ten Commands. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Anyway, uh, good hymn. So that's what he's referencing there when he says, uh, singing a hymn like that of the Ten Commandments. But what's also worth noting there is that um, we're going to go through a list here in a minute of things that you can include in your devotions, but there is two things you can't include in your devotions, right? The Ten Commandments and hymns. Okay? All right. Um. The asking a blessing, mealtime blessing. One of the things I'll point out there is that. Uh, so two of the thing, two things I'll point out. One is that these prayers are mainly based on what are the references there? I'm not sure. What? Yeah, they're psalms. So um, the eyes of all look to you, O Lord, and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. That's from Psalm 145. So. Uh, one of the things that Luther, he doesn't talk about this in the Lord's Prayer, but we did talk about it when we talked about the theology of prayer, is that um, we can pray the Psalter. So uh, that's worth noting. And then also uh, worth noting is that both um, he gives a prayer for asking a blessing. He also gives a prayer for returning a blessing. Right? Did anyone grow up doing this? Did anyone grow up praying after your meal? yeah. So this is an old practice that has basically fallen completely out of practice. Um, I don't, we don't do it at our house. We probably should, but right? Yeah. So there's a returning thanks as well. So that's something to consider. Um, that that, and that's that's a great, uh, great prayer to return thanks after the meal as well as before the meal. So. Um, but then also note that both the giving thanks and returning thanks include the Lord's prayer in the middle as well. So um, he does consider the meals as really a time for focus on, on, on devotion in some sense, right? You're gonna, spend, you're gonna spend a little bit of time doing this, right? It's not just, uh, come Lord Jesus, be our guest and let thy gifts to us be blessed. That's great. I mean, I, have, I pray, we pray that prayer. Um, you know, at breakfast and lunch, and, and that's all fine. But um, I think there is a time sometimes to have it a little bit more uh, focused for uh, the for giving thanks for for the food. All right. So um, what I want to do now, real quick, is make a list of things that you can include in your devotions. And again, I just want to emphasize whether it's Luther or me, these are just ideas, right? Um, this is supposed to be very practical. Uh, I, What I want is for everyone to have a devotional life. You got to figure out what that looks like for you. If you want me to tell you exactly what to do, I can. But um, I'll go into the methodology of that a little bit later. But first of all... Um, I just want to make a list of things that you can include in your devotion. So, so far with Luther, we have um, the invocation, right? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's remembering our baptisms. Uh, We have the Ten Commandments, the Creed, and the Lord's Prayer, which is from the catechism. By the way, it's interesting, when Luther uses the word catechism... Which catechism just means teaching. This is actually what he meant. He he meant um, then his books his books later got called the catechisms of the Lutheran Church. But um, when he in his writing, says people don't know the catechism of the Christian Church, he means the Ten Commandments, the Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. So, in- interesting enough. But um, yeah, those can be recited very quickly, right, um, and easily. And like we were talking about with the Lord's Prayer, right? The, if you recite these every day, they get into your heart and into your head. Um, and then we have—he uh, talked about singing hymns, and then we saw the Psalms as well, which is the the Bible's hymn book, if you will, in uh, those in those mealtime prayers. Um, I would also include here. Um, Oh, the other thing he includes is when he says, um, singing a hymn like that of the Ten Commandments or whatever your devotion may recommend. So Luther actually uh, expects that people might be using some kind of devotional uh, resource. So um, one thing we can include here is like devotions or what I would just probably call like writings. So maybe this is like the portals of prayer or... um, there's a book I'll talk about later called The Treasury of Daily Prayer that has a writing every day for it. Um, but then I would also include, and I think Luther would agree with all of this as well, um, that this is all included in devotional life. What we've talked about as ex corde prayer, prayers from your heart, right? Not necessarily written prayers like the Lord's Prayer, but or Luther's prayers that he recommends. And notice when even when he says... Um, when he talks about praying uh, the morning and evening prayers that he wrote, he says, um, you, if you wish, you may say a prayer like this. So, or you may also say this little prayer, right? Which the way he says it, you kind of get the idea. It's like, you know, say a prayer, right? It doesn't have to be this exact one. Um, again, so ex corde prayer. Um, and then like we have in the uh, at-home prayer, um, memory work is good. I think that our our memories are not as good as people's memories used to be before smartphones, right? Um, And so it's important in one sense to put the work in to memorize scripture and to to memorize uh, the catechism and such things. Um, And then, of course, uh, finally, um, Bible reading, right? So having a reading plan, um, for your devotionals is very helpful. We have the gift of having a lot of English translations of the Bible, right? Uh, none of us can't read the Bible if we didn't, or yeah, we can all read the Bible. I'll just put it in the positive. We can all read the Bible if we want to. So, um, that's, uh, another thing to include. Um, and then kind of going along with the invocation, we could also say having a blessing at the end, right, as well. Uh, like like it is in the at-home prayer. Okay, so uh, there's lots of things to include in your devotional life. You don't have to do them all at once, right? But these are ideas about ways, things you can include um, in your devotions, Uh, to strengthen your faith and to, to bless you, right? All these things are going to bless you. All these things are going to serve your faith. Well, all right. So now I want to talk about the, if there's not any questions on this, I want to talk about the um, kind of how to go about starting a devotional life, structuring a devotional life, um, what you may already do or what you may want to add or those kinds of things and kind of how to go about that. Any, uh, are there any questions on those things? Yeah. I have a question that's so not specific to that. So,
1: you know, he, he talks about the creed, and he just uses the word creed for the Apostles' Creed. Right? Yep. Right. I don't know if it's most of the time or a lot of the time, we also do the Nicene Creed. So can you Yeah. you talk about that and I missed it about?
0: Yeah, you know, so those two it's, yeah, it's pretty simple. So um, the reason he shortens the Apostles' Creed to creed is because he's already, in earlier in the book, discussed the Apostles' Creed. So it, it's assumed that's the creed he's talking about when he t- says the creed later on in the same book. So is there a why the apostles yeah, so so that's the first part of your question. The second part is, why do we say the Nicene Creed in church and use the Apostles' Creed in devotions? Um, so that has been a dis- kind of a distinction for a long time as far as I know of liturgically. But... I was just telling Garrison about this before the service. He's asking the same thing. Um, that the Apostles' Creed traditionally um, has been used. So in the early church, they, they referred to it as the either the Old Roman Creed or the Baptismal Creed. And if you look at the Apostles' Creed, it is in some ways much more basic than the Nicene Creed. Right? It's a little bit shorter, and it is... Really, the absolute basics of the Christian faith, right? Creation, redemption, sanctification, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, doesn't go into a ton of detail on all those things. Just is a basic confession of who God is and what He's done. And that. So we. Use, so when it says baptismal, it is um, traditionally used at someone's baptism. And that is to signify that this is the faith that this person is baptized into. And then from that, in the baptismal life, it becomes the devotional creed and also kind of the teaching creed of the faith. So um, it's not normally used. Uh, it, it did start to get used more in the 20th century in worship, but aside from baptisms, it was normally traditionally used as the baptism creed, the catechism creed, and the devotional creed. The Nicene Creed, the reason that it gets used in the divine service is because it goes into more detail specifically on the two natures in the person of Christ. And when you're dealing with communion, what you're dealing with, is God's divine and human nature in one person, in his body and blood. And so we want to be like, it's, so its use is connected to communion because we want to be really clear that um, the Jesus who we're saying is on this altar is God of God and light of light and very God of very God. And he's begotten, not made, but one substance with the father. So, um it's it's connected to the use of communion and uh the, the reason that we use the nicene creed in the divine service and then then the apostles creed in devotions in the catechism yeah so um it probably doesn't matter that much honestly but that's just how it played out all right um okay so structuring your devotional life so this is not anything from the Bible or even from old theology. This is actually something very modern that I um, think about when I think about my devotions. And uh, some of you might have heard of this. this, is, this, is some, this is some, what I'm going to recommend is something called um, the Kaizen Method. Does anyone know what that is? Okay. So Kaizen is a Japanese word. Um, from after World War II, and it means continual progress. So it actually comes from the business world. And if you know kind of a little bit about Japanese history, they were pretty downtrodden after World War II, but then in the 1950s, you know, boomed in development um, in their ability to, you know, make technology. um, You know, this is where we get flat screen TVs and all this kind of stuff from Japan, right? And uh, the management method that kind of allowed that to happen was this Kaizen method, which means continual progress. And the theory from a management perspective was that in a business, it was better to make gradual, slow changes that were very small that would eventually add up to something bigger and better. And that also, along with that, if something wasn't working, to just throw it out and only use what worked, okay? So I think this is actually a good method for structuring your devotional life. Um, Maybe it's a good method for business management, I'm not sure, but uh, this is exactly what I recommend to people for their devotional life. Whatever you're doing now, ask yourself one, is it working? In other words, can I stick to it? Do I do I actually every day do what I said I'm want to do for my devotional life? And if I'm not doing it, then do something different. Do something that you can actually stick to. Because what I want for your devotional life is consistency. Right? I want you to be able to every day have a time of devotion with your Lord, right? And then second, add just a little bit at a time over time, right? So um, if you don't have a devotional life right now, that's fine. Start tomorrow with something really small. Start tomorrow with, uh, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and say the Ten Commandments, and then go to work, right? Right? or say three of the commandments, and then go to work, right? Whatever the like minimum amount that uh, you know that you can do and it not be a burden, then do it. And then the next day, add another commandment. And then do that for a week. And then add the creed, right? So um, if you approach your devotional life that way, it's a lot less big, right? So, um, sometimes I, you know, I tell people, ask me, what do you do for your devotional life pastor? And, um, I'll, so basically what we do is in the morning, um, we do the at home prayer with the kids and, um, we don't do the reading, the daily reading. We, um, just say a Psalm at, at that point instead. And then, um, I have my own devotions that I do at work as well, but then, um, so we do that in the morning with the kids, and then in the evening, we do the service of Compline in the hymnal, and uh, we just read through the Bible a chapter at a time. And both of those things take about 20 minutes. And uh, a lot of people are like, 40 minutes a day, I don't know if I can you know, do that. Um, well, we didn't use to do that. Right? We, we built up to that over time as a family, and it's just natural now. And it, it helps structure our life. And, uh, and there's been times where we've backed off and there's been times when we've done more and, um, it, it's something that continually kind of changes, right? And, um, like recently we've been thinking maybe we'll do a service that's not Compline because we've been doing Compline for a long time. So, uh, it's, it's good, I think, to continually kind of think about, okay, my devotional life looks like this right now. How can I improve a little bit and what's working and what's not? right? So, um, that's kind of what I, uh, would suggest. And then, um, I'll, I'll, give some more specifics here. So at home prayer, I did design for people to have a devotional life at home, right? It's exactly what it sounds like at home prayer. Um, but if you read that little paragraph at the top, um, my, one of my points in there is that, again, you don't have to do this all right. If you want to do this at home, you don't have to sit down and, and do the entire thing at once. You can split it up throughout the day. Um, you can take things out. Uh, you can add things in. Right? It's got an option to include the Ten Commandments, a hymn and or a psalm at a certain point there. Uh, you, you don't have to do it all at once. right? Uh, so the, I think these are helpful. I hope they're helpful. And if you have nothing else that you're doing, this is a good starting point. Right? At-home prayer is a good starting point um, because it includes basically options for all of these things that you might want to include in your devotions. So if you don't have anything else and you want to start somewhere, just take home the at-home prayer sheet every week and just start doing something from that. Right. All right. Um, the other thing I want to uh, talk about really quick, how much time do I have? Okay, I got five minutes, um, is Bible reading plans. So so I mentioned uh, it's good to have reading. The Bible reading plan that's published in at-home prayer is on page 300 in the hymnal. It's called the Daily Lectionary uh, from the Lutheran Service book. It's got readings for every day. That is not the entire Bible in a year. It's about a third of the Old Testament and then all of the New Testament. So it's kind of an abridged Old Testament. And it, it highlights all the... It leaves out the stuff that you read in the Old Testament and you're like, why am I reading this, right? It goes on and on and on about this person was the son of this person, was the son of this person. It kind of leaves that stuff out. Um, Not that that stuff's not important, I think it is, but um, it does abridge the Old Testament. So the readings are generally around, I think like 30 verses a day. So really not that hard. Um, But you get the main outline of the Old Testament in a year and the entire New Testament in a year so that's the daily lectionary so that's kind of the easy plan um, is uh, the daily lectionary and uh, that's in that's an at-home prayer and it's in the hymnal the medium plan is something I recommend to people who want to do more than that. Um, especially if you want to read the whole Bible every year. And that's called the One Year Bible. You can Google this. And this is just a company, basically, that publishes these one-year Bibles. You can get a physical Bible that is uh, dated to where January 1st, is. it has readings. And every day, it's Old Testament, New Testament, um, and a part of a psalm and part of a proverb. And uh, so you get um, an Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, and Proverb reading every day, and you go through the entire Bible in a year. And I believe the Proverbs you go through a couple times um, th- uh, through that. So that's kind of the medium level plan. It takes a little bit more time, but it's not too uh, really too much, I don't think. And then the hard plan, if you are like, I really want to read a lot of the Bible, is um, Something that I've been using that I really like is called, you can Google this as well, Professor Horner's Bible Reading System. Um, you can just look up Professor Horner's Bible. You'll find it. Um, and what that is is 10 chapters a day. And you read the Bible about three times through the whole year. So that's the hard plan. Um but it's kind of a cool plan the way it's set up. I don't have time to explain it to you, but if you want to know more about it, I can tell you about it. Um, but that's those are the Bible reading plans I recommend. Um, the last thing I want to talk about is uh, kind of other resources. Um, I do, so obviously a Bible. Um, also, uh, I recommend a hymnal. Um, as I mentioned, uh, my family does the service of Compline. So there are, there are prayer services in the hymnal that you can use. You can look through it. Um, there's matins, morning prayer, evening prayer, vespers, compline, and um, a couple other little prayer services as well, uh, if you would like to use those. Um, but also, if you have a hymnal, um, you can, you know, sing hymns or at least read the hymns. And then, um, And also in the hymnal is like the Psalter is in the front of the hymnal as well. So there's a lot of, there's a lot, if you just get a hymnal, they're like 30 bucks from CPH. Um, You can probably get it on Amazon Um, and you just flip through it. There's a lot in there, really. It's a, it's a very good devotional resource. Um, The other, one of the other resources I'd recommend is something called the Treasury of Daily Prayer. It's a little bit more expensive. Um, You can get it on Amazon or from CPH. CPH is the Lutheran Publishing House, Concordia Publishing House, um, if you're not familiar with that. Uh, the Treasury of Daily Prayer, um, it is a devotional resource based around the daily lectionary. So each day has um, the readings printed out very nicely for the daily lectionary. Um, so it works very nicely with the at-home prayer uh, if if you want to use that. Um, but it also has... Uh, a hymn stanza and a written prayer of the day and then a devotional writing and maybe a few other things a recommended book of concord reading Um, so the treasury of daily prayer is really nice as well um, if you want to add those things in and then um, one more thing i'll recommend that i really like is a book by cph called celebrating the saints And that's by a guy named uh, Will Whedon. And it's not every day, but it's got a um, biography of different Christian saints um, for, I'd say, probably like two-thirds of the year. And it's it's by calendar date. Um, so... Uh, this is another, I didn't talk about this and Things You Can Include, but um, in our lectionary, we have saint days. And of course, as Lutherans, we don't pray to the saints, but um, we do celebrate the lives of the saints that have gone before us as examples uh, for us to see how God has worked grace in people and uh, um, also just to learn church history too. And so uh, I really like the Celebrating the Saints books and each of those um it's got a little biography, which is very nice and very, like, devotionally minded. Um, and then it's got a prayer and a hymn stanza with each of those. So uh, we use that at home as well, and I really like that one. Um, this is uh, inculcating devotional life and talking about devotional life in the church. is kind of one of my hobby horses. And so uh, if you need any other advice or you want more resources, just ask. Um, I'm I'm very happy to help provide, but I hope this is helpful. Um, I think Luther is great in the small catechism where he just kind of gives some like pastoral advice on this, on how to structure your devotional life. And so I'm kind of trying to do the same thing uh, for you. So um, anyway, that's that's what I have on daily prayers. Any questions or comments or concerns?
1: Yeah, right. I did that. And it was really interesting to, to read all the entire book of
0: gospel. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good.
1: It's not biblical,
0: but it's right. A yeah, yeah, no. It's it's a it can be used devotionally for sure. And sometimes the book the I mean, yeah, it's a dogmatics book, but it is comforting at times, right? Like there are some really beautiful passages in there about like our justification in Christ, right? So um, it can definitely be used devotionally. And yeah, like I said, uh, the Treasury of Daily Prayer has a recommended uh, Book of Concord reading in it for each day. All right, let's uh, close with a word of prayer and then we'll, we'll get to church here. Dearly Father, we thank and praise you for this day. And uh, we pray that you would increase our devotional life in you and that you would help us uh, to spend more time in prayer with you. For we know that you are our dear Father in heaven and that you desire to hear our prayers and we know that you hear them and that you answer them. We pray that you would bless our worship today together in spirit and in truth and that you would open the hearts and minds of believers to grow in the knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.